0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss woman we are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Genevieve Day is an entrepreneur based in Melbourne. With a high-performing background in PR, Genevieve saw a shift in the media landscape and spotted a gap in the market. At 24, Jen started her talent management company as a side hustle in her bedroom. Day management has grown hugely in the past almost five years, representing some of Australia's original influences and biggest talents. We're really lucky to have Genevieve share her inspiring story and girl boss advice on the Self Love Club podcast. Genevieve, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me on. How exciting. Yeah, so cool. Again, I m- admired you from afar. <laughs> it sounds that sounds stalker and creepy, but it's cool to catch up with girl bosses for real and people that are doing
1: really cool things. So tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm a talent manager based in Melbourne. So I run day management. Um, and I get a lot of jokes about that. People saying, Do you work at nighttime? Like, <laughs> No, it's just my last name. So I started that back in 2015 and we work with media personalities and influencers and podcasters Um, and basically we're just that middleman that connects them with brands to get paid collaborations. Yeah. So how did you start your own business or were you working in
0: this field already?
1: Yeah, so I actually started out working in PR when I was 18. Um, which is ten years ago now, a whole decade ago. Um, and I, you know, really lived and breathed PR lifestyle. And I studied my degree while still working. And I was in this space, um, yeah, for a period of about five and a half, six years. And I just kind of saw this shift in the digital media landscape. And that's where I saw this gap in the market for talent agencies and looking at influencers and social media people as talent. So that's kind of why Day Management was born. And who knew would be here in 2019 in our own shiny new office yeah well done that
0: sign is pretty amazing (laughs) I do love the sign you were saying though when you were setting up you sort of had like imposter syndrome looking at the sign being like what the hell
1: yeah it was quite funny we got the keys last week actually so it's still very new Um, and we got this big branded sign installed straight away it was like the first thing that I organized and as it was being installed you have this moment when you're like oh my gosh who am I to have a big sign with my name on it behind me like how embarrassing like why do I deserve a big sign and I think it just shows like imposter syndrome comes in the weirdest you know shapes and forms and comes out of nowhere so take us back where did you grow up what was your childhood like so I grew up in Camberwell here in Melbourne, which is like a very leafy green suburb um, in my family home with my sister, who's five years older than me. And it was just the two of us and mum and dad. Um, and I think I had a really normal childhood, which isn't very exciting. I think it just kind of was being a normal kid in Camberwell. and. Um, yeah, I loved school. I was really into academics and my family was really keen on that as well. Um, my dad's a doctor and my mom's a teacher and my sister became a lawyer. So that was kind of the roads they all went down. And so during school, that was a really big focus for me as well. I wanted, you know, to do well and see results um, out of my studies. And then I also had this kind of creative pathway where I did a whole lot of dance and musical theatre. And that kind of ticked off like the left and the right side of my brain. Mm. Um, And they kind of don't go hand in hand at all being quite studious and, you know, winning the humanities prize. So I kind of had this double life growing up where I had, you know, being in like a certain group in high school and you wanted to be cool and go to parties and then also trying really hard with your studies and, you know, every day after school going to dance class. So I feel like I had a very active childhood in that Mm. sense. I had a lot going on. But, yeah, it was quite interesting because none of it relate to what I do now.
0: Yeah. So, did you know what you wanted to do when you were growing up? Did you have an idea of what you thought you would be?
1: It's funny because I always did and none of it eventuated. So, I always was really sure of myself. I'm like, I will be a journalist which didn't happen Mm. or I'm like oh I will be um this you know reporter for celebrity news which also didn't happen then I was you know so sure I was going to be a performer and be in musical theater and that Mm. didn't happen either and that's you know fine and what a positive that different doors opened for me instead but I kind of was set on this idea for like a year of my life and that's all I wanted to do and that's all I would think about and that idea would change I think I always kind of had that idea of identity being wound up in what you did and that's was who you were, and so I kind of always thought, Oh no, my dad is the doctor, and that's who he is. He's Doctor Day, and so I kind of thought that my job had to be my identity, mm. and to an extent or to a large extent, it definitely is today. But I think that's why growing up, I kind of really wanted to have that thing nailed down and pigeonholed, and I wanted to be pigeonholed and kind of go into that niche and thrive in it. And then cut to 12 months later, I'm like, okay, new idea. Now we're going to try this mm. instead.
0: So how did you work out what it is you wanted to do and, you know, create that, I guess, in a way, identity for yourself of this is what I do? Because I know what it's like. I was similar. When you leave school, you're like, you think that's what you're going to do. And it's like really important. I remember thinking, oh, it's really important. I choose the right thing. Like, I get yeah. the right job and I leave uni or whatever. Absolutely. So how did you work out? That you wanted to go do PR and work for PR.
1: Well, it's funny because I remember in year 11, we had to choose all of our year 12 subjects, which I thought would shape my entire life. Um, in any 18-year-olds listening, it, it does not change anything. <laughs> it definitely doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't do one of the subjects because of a scheduling conflict. And I was in tears over this. And I was crying, crying because so I thought that would change everything. And I didn't even know what I wanted to do yet. And that was still, I knew it was going to be a really big decision choosing those next steps. So I think I always felt the gravity of it. Mm. Um, And then I kind of looked at what do I enjoy doing? Okay. I love writing and I loved being analytical in that. And I loved being around people and that performative aspect. So that's kind of how I led to a career in communications. I kind of thought, well, I'm good with people. I can write well. I can have a bit of a commercially business savvy brain. Um, And so I went from there straight into working in a PR firm and straight into uni studying PR as well. Well done. (laughs) So cool. So you started
0: working in PR. What was that like coming out of university and getting your first job?
1: It's so funny because at the time, I thought I was so cool. I had like my AAA media pass for like the Moomba Festival, um, which is like a city of Melbourne parade on a public holiday weekend. It's not trendy at all. It's like for boomers and family people and kids. Um, But I remember like, I think I kept that AAA pass for years, thinking, oh my gosh, this is it for me. Like, look how important I am. Um, And it was a lot of like grueling hard labor in the beginning. I was packing gift bags um, and doing media send-outs. And doing database entries, but I think I was so happy to be there that I just lapped up every second of it. Mm, Good on you. So, how did things progress for
0: you? So, did you move up the ranks kind of quickly within the industry?
1: Yeah, and which is quite strange for PR. I stayed in the same company for my entire PR career, I guess, Mm. until I moved into talent management. So, I started as the intern at 18 and I moved up the ranks and I left as being. Um, the second most senior person in the company after the director so it was kind of a strange progression that doesn't always happen people jump around so much in that field but I really fell in love with the clients we had and I really liked that familiarity for me I loved the challenges like I wanted to get my client on the front cover of the local newspaper here in Melbourne and then you hit that goal and you're like okay well what's next and I kind of was chasing that for a while. And then towards the end of my time there, when you hit all those things, I wasn't quite sure what was next. Mm. And that was in a time where Instagram wasn't that huge. It was quite new. Um, Influencers weren't really a thing or they were just beginning to be in the mainstream or they were bloggers as well. Um, and at my job, I actually was part of, the one, of one of the first Insta meets which is like a travel itinerary where you fly over these Famous Instagram celebrities and socialites and influencers. Um, we had a hotel client, so we flew all these talent over to Bali with us, and I got to go as well. And that was one of the first, yeah, InstaMeet activities where you were really prioritizing influencers first over media. Mm. And what do you think that shift meant for the industry
0: and for the way companies were doing advertising?
1: Well, yeah, that was really, for me, the tipping point. That was the first noticeable shift. And then from there, all of our clients were banging on our doors saying, look, we don't really care that much about the print media. We're not, not as fussed about that radio placement. We just want this celebrity to come and post on Instagram.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think it's there's
1: oftentimes in the media
0: landscape where those changes come about, and currently it might be podcasting. I mean, influencer marketing is still a thing, mm-hmm. but it does see a huge shift in how... Media is sold. I mean right now mainstream media is battling hard yeah. because of things like Facebook and Google like that Digital is massive and that's had huge impacts on things like print and television, especially um, And so I guess in a way they're very blank to what you were doing, working in PR. Mm. You were sort of working... So you were working more for
1: the brands... Yeah. ...and getting them to work with these influencers or who, the celebrities. Yeah, we were just getting them coverage. So mm. We wanted to get eyeballs on their products or their experiences. Um, I worked a lot in five-star hotels, so getting people to stay there and experience that and write about it or talk about it. And, yeah, that shift just was so fast as well. Mm. And by the time it hit 2015, when I left there and started day management... It was just, yeah, people all they wanted was influencers right. in our world. And, and were they willing to pay for it as well? Uh, oh, not really. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, from my understanding, yeah.
0: I mean, I in terms of a lot of, yeah, just, I guess in some ways, PR, a lot of it is sending out stuff for free. And yeah. Yeah wanting people to post for free to their audiences. And
1: it's funny, it's kind of like the glory days. When I look back, I was like wow, I was able to get this amazing coverage of these top tier people and not pay them. That's mm. wild. Whereas, yeah maybe that was early on, I think
0: um, where, yeah, you're just stoked to get sent something. Like, yeah. oh my God, I got sent this cool makeup <laughs> thing. Like, I'll post about it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas right. now people have rate cards and you pay like, you know, you can pay quite good money. And I think that's a good thing in a way because you don't want to be posting every single thing it totally
1: and I think it's what people just now are aware of the value mm. when it was new these influencers had no idea what we were equating the PR value with it mm. so I was literally compiling a PR report of someone that posted about a coconut oil that I sent them for free and they were like love this here's an Instagram post to my 50,000 followers again the glory days yeah <laughs> that would not happen today no um, and I was you know putting a value in there at a thousand two thousand dollars and then our clients like amazing that's heaps of value for free and so then, it, I also saw that gap in the market there, where I'm like, that is a money figure not being spent, but being valued. Mm. So obviously, brands are recognizing they need it, they want it, yeah, and they well, they should be paying for it. Totally, a lot of them are like multi-million-dollar companies, and it's it's almost laughable. Like I do laugh all the time when I think back of the campaigns I did for like a hundred bucks. Whether now we wouldn't even get out of bed for a hundred bucks. Like why? You know, mm. we understand the value we're bringing to these brands. And we look back to 2015, like my first month that I was operational, I did one job. Mm. And I think this month we've booked like 120. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. But like, that's the growth industry as well. It's just, you know, Instagram influencers and brands and themselves, we're all growing together. And so if you are agile, you can totally take advantage of that. Mm, Definitely.
0: So you started day management at the time, like you say, where that shift was happening. You spotted that um, when you were working in PR. Yeah. So how did you come up with the idea or how did you decide that was the avenue you were going to go down?
1: I probably had a bit of naivety working in my favor, I think. So I was 24 when I launched the company, which I see 24 year olds now. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like stay in school kids. (laughs) So it's, it's so funny looking back, but I think I just had that courage in me and I had the, you know, security. I was able to do it on the side in the beginning and I was still working full time so I knew that if it failed that's okay I wasn't going to go homeless Mm. Um, and I just really loved it I think I had kind of conquered all that I could conquer in the PR world for me personally and I was starting to fall a little bit out of love with it as well Mm. And maybe that was just being at the same company for so long. And just needing new
0: challenges. Like you you were very driven in terms of, I want to achieve this. And then once you had done it, you're like, what's next?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then I saw this was a new way for me to learn and grow and be a part of something really cool that was happening in front of my eyes. Mm. And I really loved being that early adapter to all these trends, even with podcasting. It's really cool to kind of sink my teeth into it and learn, understand and evolve in my personal growth as well as the company. And part of me, I'm a little bit, envious of those that can set up shop today and take advantage of that when brands are ready to spend money and people understand what an agent's job is and how it works but at the same time, I would not trade it at all because mm-hmm. I had the luxury of choosing whoever I wanted to work with. Nobody was signed. You didn't have to poach anybody. You kind of cherry pick the people that I believed in and I saw potential in. Mm-hmm. And most of them were been in this journey together for the last four and a half years. So what did it look like
0: when you first started day management? Like,
1: What did that physically look like <laughs> for you? Where were you working? Yeah. What was your setup like? What were you doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, at the beginning, I was doing it in secret as well well, which I do not recommend. Transparency is (laughs) key. I tell my staff all the time, like, please don't do that to me, what I did to my poor past employer. And it's funny, I was almost like a bit embarrassed. Like I didn't want to tell people it was my company until I did well. I didn't want to be able to talk about it until I knew it was going to succeed. So I was doing it in secret. in these crazy hours, like waking up at 5am to do it before I went to work that day. And I I always had my laptop in my handbag and then I would do it my lunch break, which in PR is like five minutes. I was going to say, I work a very long time. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was like, oh God. And then I'd come home and I'd do it all from my bedroom, you know, up until midnight working on it again. Mm-hmm. But because I had that passion for it and I was actually really excited about it, I was like, okay, that's totally fine. I can create 13 pages of web copy, no dramas at all. I set this up and I had like a little checklist of what I needed to start with and that was just getting like an AVN, get all your business, like government stuff sorted, mm-hmm. get an email account, get a website and then I would just start selling. And that's kind of just... I knew that's what I needed to get going. So I did that all in secret and I did it on the side for quite a few months before bringing it to my boss and explaining to her, I'm really passionate about this and I think it has legs to it. Can I start going part-time? I did actually take it to one other person first because I didn't believe I was going to be this entrepreneur business owner. I was like, oh, let me do it for you and you can guide me through this. Right. Again, I was 24. I didn't know anything. Yeah, um, And she again was like, oh, is there much money in social media? Really? And yeah, there definitely is. Mm. Um, And maybe there wasn't as much in 2015, but, you know, look at us today. So it was quite interesting. I had this concept and I brought it to these people and my boss as well. And I think they weren't as excited about it. They thought it looked like a lot of work and not much payoff. Mm. Um, And thankfully it wasn't a conflict of interest in the sense that I wasn't doing another PR business. No, I could do them both concurrently. Um, But eventually I started out earning my regular job with my side hustle and I thought okay that hour split doesn't make sense anymore Mm. um and so I went down to a part-time to do both and then I kind of finished up and just took it full-time and that was terrifying because I was still doing it from my bedroom and I was still just doing it by myself as well I didn't have any help I was the only person and I think I had about ten talent at that stage. So did you just approach people, or how did you get your clients? A lot of it in the beginning, I was knocking on doors. I had a few connections through my PR job, um, and then word of mouth is awesome. Yeah, and especially yeah, Instagram's so visible, so people see other talent doing really cool things. Yeah. We're talking about this off mic, it's like we almost need to be invisible and that's what our job is. Like if we're claiming everything that our talent are doing, it kind of takes away their shine a little bit. Mm, so we definitely couldn't do it without you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> Thank you know for saying that. Yeah. We
0: know but it's like a partnership that you sort of need because especially when you're creating content or whatever you're creating, that's cool. And we might have a slightly business savvy mind or know what we want to do and what we don't want to do. But it is really helpful to have someone who is focused on that commercial side who has those connections and yeah. so we can just focus on creating the content and you guys can do the real hard stuff yeah all those hard conversations being the bad part yeah hard- radio background with me you're used to being everyone's friends so then yeah. when they, when you have to talk money be like you know you need to pay this much money for this it's like it, it just feels strange when you're used to being someone's friend and it's like you're it's never cost anyone anything
1: totally And i think when i started i was so like little miss nice girl mm. as well and that was always my vibe it was almost my brand i'd be everyone's best friend and i'd be everyone's you know go-to person for that and they knew they could trust me to turn something around in 24 hours Or they knew that I would probably do a bit of a lesser rate because I just want to get more work out of them as well. Um, And so almost like my evolution has been a little bit tougher And I have to catch myself sometimes being like, it's okay, you don't have to be a bad cop all the time. We get a lot of work still for being friendly and having those networks and connections. And I really think that's a massive part of any business. Mm. Um, And, you know, often talent will be with a brand or a client and like, oh, we know Jen, we love Jen. And that's really good because it brings in more work for us. But at the same time, you have to flick that switch and be like, okay, well, now we're talking money and exclusivity and contracts. So... Now's the time to put my main hat on. At the time, it was just kind of seeing who's available, where the most commercial side of the business is.
0: Thanks to Air New Zealand's Seat for making this episode of the Self Love Club podcast possible. How do you come up with something and just invent it? Like in terms of a you know an ambassadorship role or a bit like those big contracts, is that just is that industry standards? Like how do you come up with something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we start as the industry standard and it's like the formula of this many followers equals this or you know how you might break it down mm-hmm. and then we build from there and see what's the market willing to pay for this person and if this person is that authority in the space or if they mean more than you know Joe Boy next door that has 30,000 followers but isn't from a TV show isn't on radio mm-hmm you kind of can't really compare the two. Mm. So we almost put it out to the market and see how they respond to those rates as well and build it from there. And it also kind of goes sometimes that if a talent is really busy and they can't complete all the jobs coming in, well, okay, we'll just up your rates then. So you do less work, same amount of money. Yeah. And so it really is case by case and it's really tailored per talent. And it's not how everybody does it. A lot of people just have the formula and they say this engagement, therefore you get paid this much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's just... We want to make sure they're being valued for who they are and what they bring to the party, which is their name and their brand. And it's so cool. What I love is when we're out and about with our talent, I'll we'll be shooting something or at an event and we'll have these strangers come up to them and be like, oh my gosh, I follow you on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm always like the proud like mumager in the corner. I'm like, I'm <laughs> I love this. that. Yeah. It's <laughs> so nice though, because it shows you, you can build this community and people feel like they know you you yeah. for years. So how did it transition from you... Working in your bedroom, <laughs> you were working part-time still with
0: your PR job, Yeah. then you left your PR job, mm-hmm. and you had quite a few people you were already working with.
1: Did it grow quite quickly for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the amount of jobs increased really quickly, because more and more brands are just coming to the table, and then word of mouth spread that I could take on more people, they had more capacity, so it, it grew really fast, and I think... I never really thought would be sitting here and mm-hmm. I never thought that it would be at this stage that it is now, which is a pleasant surprise. But yeah, yeah at the time I thought we were making a whole heap of cash, which you know, compared to now isn't as much. Or I thought the amount of jobs we were doing was out of this world, whether now I'm like, oh, that's nothing. Like, please, mm-hmm. that's just a week. Yeah. So it was really interesting. It was busy and it was quick, but that hasn't really slowed down. Mm, I guess when you're
0: working in a field, which is – at the time was very new and so you were like a, a pioneer in that situation you d- it just
1: keeps growing as the industry or the, as the field grows and it's funny because all the time I'm like when will this boom stop mm. like people said it would stop two years ago people said it would stop because people do say what do you say
0: to people that say because I get told all the time uh, that influencer in marketing is
1: dying Oh, they've been saying that to me for the last three years. And it's not, has it? Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. Like um, big brands are coming to the table more and more. And we're working with, you know, ANZ and Amex and those big corporates that realize they need influencer marketing too. Mm-hmm. It isn't just the fashion brands mm-hmm. or the Homo washing powder. Yeah. And that's yeah. why
0: a lot of, um, I guess, traditional media sources are battling because their revenue down a huge amount because there's more competition now from what was the norm before.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's funny because... I always said I'd do it for five years and sell it, and it's five years next year, and there's no way I'm selling it. Yeah, like, good. this will be my job for life. I think good. I'm. It's all, it's, oh. Yeah, and you
0: said you said earlier that you were looking for something, you know, like your dad, he is Doctor Day. Yeah. and Now it's like you you've you definitely found <laughs> your thing, you know, like yeah. it's, and It's your baby. Like, you've put so much into it. And it's one of those things that I think a business like you have will continue to grow. And and you'll, because you're an early adapter, you'll just move with it. Like, who knows what's going to be next after podcasting. Well, exactly. I wonder what it will be.
1: I mean, everyone says TikTok. But, yeah. I don't know.
0: Is that just another little, like, vine? And, you know, like, they a lot of those things come and go. Instagram. Instagram's
1: been around for quite a while now. It was funny. We were at this Spotify event a couple of weeks back and I was there with Tully and Khan and we were having a really good time. This girl was coming up to us and she said, can I sit with you? I don't have any friends here. I was like, yeah, of course. Come sit with us. It's fine. Um, And we were trying to figure out like how she was connected. Like, were you invited by Spotify? Are you an artist? Are you a DJ? And then after a while I looked at her, I was like, oh my God, you're a TikToker. You're a oh. in TikTok you're influencer. And she's like, yeah, I'm big on TikTok. Also oh, so it is, yeah. I mean, it probably is the next thing. Yeah. And she kind of looked at us being like, oh, these millennials, like, are so old. Like, we were almost the old generation. And this girl had 600,000 followers on TikTok. What the heck? She was 19 had her like off-white branded handbag. I'm like, I know how much money that costs. You must be doing very well.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, so then I went home and like educated myself all about TikTok the next day, came to the office, told the whole team, We're like, okay, let's get some 13 year old girl on TikTok. It was hard to grow it. I was bad at releasing control and delegating. So it took me a really long time to get more people on board and on staff. And then also to invest back in the business. Cause I was always a bit scared that this boom would finish and mm. would end. And then I I kind of educated myself a bit more on the financials because I had my head in the sand a little bit and I didn't understand what was happening. I just kept on going. And then once I learned, okay, I can afford to put a staff member on or I can afford to invest back in day management, Mm -hmm. it just flourished again. Yeah. So I kind of had to flip my mindset and think, all right, I'm actually the chokehold on this business right now. Like I'm the one holding it back. Mm -hmm. I just need to be all in and take my fear away and just really dive into it. And then, you know, now we're a team of five people and we've just grown beyond what I ever thought was imaginable.
0: What have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned through your experiencing of starting your own business?
1: Yeah. I mean, trust yourself and trust your gut. Um, And I think just obviously fear is there for a reason. So I really waited until I was ready to do it full time. So I made sure that I could pay my rent and my bills and I didn't just, you know, leap um, into it. But I think... Fear is only serving you for a limited time and fear, I held onto that for too long. Mm. So I really wish that I let go sooner and trusted myself sooner so that I could, yeah, remove that chokehold on the business and let it thrive because it was trying to and I was the one holding it back mm. when being not sure how to direct the energies to it or what to do next or to let it grow. And it's cool that it is a job now when, you know, back when I was in high school, Instagram wasn't invented yet. Mm -hmm. So I put all this pressure on myself to have this amazing career plan, you know, tracked out and mapped out. And then none of it came true and it was way better. What is something you would tell your younger self? Stress less. I was I was born anxious like Mm -hmm. I came out of the womb anxious Mm -hmm. um and it's funny because I think I always just was pushing myself to be better and cope better with myself in situations just to see how I deal with it and cope with it and that's how I taught myself to just yeah be better and handle things more in situations Mm. um because I was a super anxious kid Um, And especially in primary school, even, which I'm like, what did I have to worry about back then? Mm. And then I was always worried about the future and I always wanted to be better. And I kind of grew up having this perfect sister who she's so super smart and she's a lawyer for Google and she's amazing. And she was five years my senior. So she kind of, you know, trailblazer over there and I was following in her footsteps. And I was always so worried about, well, that's her, like, what am I going to do that will Mm. measure up? I do look back and I'm like I was just so stressed and so worried all yeah. the time. I wish I could just tell myself to were you relax. Yeah, were
0: you mostly worried about the career and how things were gonna work or was it other areas of your life as well?
1: I think I just always wanted to be good at what I did mm. in every aspect. Mm. Like at dancing I, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be in the front row and center. <laughs> and if I wasn't that it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, which is not a very good personality trait I'm so sorry no No, but I feel like a lot of people (laughs) can relate with it it's a growth industry so it grew and it was funny because I definitely put the hours in and put the blood sweat and tears in for sure Mm -hmm. but I found as when I did those big challenges it definitely shook me to my core a little bit thinking well if I'm not good at this who am I like, if I can't be a good talent manager, that's all that I am. It's all that I want to be at the moment. Mm. What does that mean? Mm. And so, yeah, it was getting those hurdles or those blockages or those failures, even. They, I definitely wore them hard, and that mm. was really hard for me.
0: Do you think that you've learned to identify as more than just your job?
1: <laughs> or is that because I
0: feel like a lot of us, like, I mean, the first thing someone says to you when you meet them, what do you do?
1: Yeah, I mean, not yet. Yeah, that's totally fine.
0: I think that's to- so normal, especially when you've when a lot of what you've done has been this and like i'm really proud of
1: it which is so lame to say no it's not lame But if that's what I can hang my hat on and be known as that person, awesome. Mm. And I think it's um, a really privileged time that I have no dependents. I'm not a mother yet. I'm not married yet. (laughs) I can be that little bit more selfish and put my energy into this. Yeah. Um, I do have a partner who's very understanding. That's good. Even like we went to Sydney on last Friday and we we took the day and he took the day off work and we flew up there. and I had about three catastrophes that I had to deal with. And so I was like, can you just watch like the NBA while I deal with this? And then I also took a meeting in Sydney. So really I just worked the whole day. And he's like, that's fine. We're here together. And yeah. he's understanding. What
0: is some advice you would give to other women that are really wanting to find what drives
1: them or do some epic things? What would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, just find your passion. And I think it's just by consuming things, you discover new and exciting things as well. So if that's consuming podcasts or reading or looking online and looking on Instagram, even you can find so many new avenues there. I didn't even realize were career pathways. Mm. And in this digital age, it's so exciting that you can really, you can do anything and you can be anything, which wasn't an option before. So I think I like to always read and consume as much as I can. So I'm always learning and evolving and I can tap into my passions that way or discover new passions. I'll always ask questions and reach out to people because you never know if will reply and give you a helping hand or give you information as well. I think that's so valuable to network or even just cold email someone or DM them on Instagram. Obviously, we talk
0: a lot about self-care and self-love on the podcast.
1: And living such a
0: high-paced, you know, like <laughs> somewhere you are running your business It can be hard, but what are some ways that you look after yourself? Is self-care something you sort of try to focus on a bit?
1: I think it comes in waves with me, and I need to make it more of a priority for sure
0: yeah that's so normal though like, no
1: one's like perfect
0: itself kid. i
1: know i think boundaries are so important mm-hmm. and we all need to have boundaries and in different peak periods for my job right now it's a bit crazy um i try and like log off by a certain time frame so in the morning i've been trying to go to the gym before work and just have that with my partner and some of my friends as well and that's kind of a nice way to start the day and then at night time, on an ideal day, I would, yeah, log off at like seven. Mm-hmm. But at the moment that's not what's been happening. Yeah. So it is balance for sure. But boundaries for me is what keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. So I try and on the weekends not do any work, which again it's not what's happening right now. Scheduling time for myself, which either it's going to the gym or I'm really big on therapy. Therapy is the best. Everyone should be in therapy. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> I love this. It was put to me in a way that like Richard Branson has a life coach and a therapist and the top of the top people they cannot physically or mentally handle it on their own they need help Mm -hmm. we all need help and so if you're going to be at the top of your game get as much help as you can so that you can handle whatever's thrown at you and i've seen a massive shift in that just be able to cope with all the curveballs Mm because there are so many and then the reactions is what you can control those situations so you know the biggest issue can go wrong in your company or you have a really pivotal start and believe or a big talent wanting to leave or you know something massive will happen a campaign will go disastrously wrong and you don't fall down in tears and you don't make a big fuss over it you just get it done and Mm -hmm. just deal with it and I think building yourself up to be strong enough to deal with all of that and know your own limitations and your own shit as well really Mm -hmm. I think it's so important so why wouldn't you want to level up? As you kind of release that control, things just work out yeah. as well. Like it might be difficult in the pathway to get there, but everything's going to be okay. And my partner, he is like the most chill person in the world. And he always says to me, everything will be okay. And it's such annoying advice. I'm like, but if you don't know
0: that. <laughs> but it's right. And it's true. Like everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Like everything. Like a lot of the things we stress about don't even matter.
1: For sure. Oh yeah, that was a really hard week. That week's over. Yeah, it's a new week now. You don't need to think about that anymore. Yeah, that's done. It's okay. It's gone mm. and we've all moved on. And I think I really embraced that advice of like, okay, everything's going to be okay. So why is everybody worrying and crying and stressing about it? Let's just be strong and deal with it. And tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. I really
0: appreciate it. I know you're really busy. So <laughs> we've really appreciated having you on. I know everyone's going to get heaps out of this. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on eps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing the Self Love Club with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps heaps in spreading the self love message. You can keep up with the Self Love Club at Self Love Club podcast and at Bell Crawford on Instagram, plus find resources and blog posts on my website, bellcrawford.com. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of the Year with weekly episodes available each Monday. Catch you soon, babes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices.